0: And thanks for listening. All right, if you would, please go ahead and take a seat. We're going to continue our worship this afternoon. My name is Harrison Ford. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's uh, it's great to be with you on this Memorial Day weekend. Thanks for coming. You know, I wonder... If you have ever felt like a fake or like a fraud. You know, there was a time when I was a kid that I felt like that. You see, where I grew up, all of the cool kids were hunters. Uh, specifically, they hunted deer. And I was neither cool nor I was, was I particularly drawn to deer hunting. But I was resolved that I was going to become both of those things on my 11th birthday. So I asked my parents to get me a climbing tree stand. If you're a hunter, you know what that is. You can kind of like scoot up into the tree canopy, get above the eyesight of the deer. So I asked for a, uh, a climbing tree stand, and my parents were kind enough to play along with my delusion, and they got me one. And, you know, the next, I was on a weekend. I went back to school on Monday, and I told all these guys, I was like, Oh I, you know, I told them stories like all weekend. I was up in the trees. You know, didn't see anything, but I was up there, and it seemed to work. You know, they were asking me, "What gun did you take up? What you know? What camo were you wearing? Where were you hunting?" And I thought, "This is it. I'm in. I'm finally cool." But I was desperately afraid that they would find out the truth about what I was doing up in the trees. You see, uh, I was being true to my nerdy, authentic self. I would scoot up into the trees, and when i get there, I'd turn around, I'd sit down, and then I'd pull out a copy of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so while everyone else was, you know, keeping their eyes peeled for deer, I was up there reading high fantasy. <laughs> you know, I think we all, we can associate that, at least with some part of our life, we have probably felt like a fake or like a fraud, like someone's going to find us out. Back in February, author Leslie Jameson wrote an article for the New Yorker titled, Why Everyone Feels Like They're Faking It. And she chronicled kind of the rise of the term imposter syndrome uh, from when it was first coined in the 80s until when it really took off now with the advent of social media. And what she said is that it it really touched kind of a... a a trigger point in our culture. It seems like everyone struggles with feeling like a fake or feeling like a fraud. And you know, while imposter syndrome is typically associated with work or with uh, relationships, I have talked with you, and I know that oftentimes you can feel like a fake or a fraud with regards to your faith. You feel like a spiritual uh, imposter as though you've been able to kind of convince yourself that you really are a Christian. You go to church, you you know, you kind of do the right things, but there's this, this nagging voice in the back of your head that says, what if it's not all true? What if you're just a fraud? What if you really aren't a Christian? And if that resonates with you and it feels, you know, you're saying, yeah, I, I know what that feels like, imagine what it's like being a pastor. This is a profession that is primed for imposter syndrome. But here's what I have found out. The times in which I feel like a fraud or a fake as a pastor, I'm really, what's going on is I'm trying to live into a fraudulent view of pastoral ministry. A view that's not based on anything out of scripture or out of tradition, but rather something out of my own uh, insecurities and neuroses. And this afternoon, I want to suggest that perhaps the same is true for you, as well. What if, in those times where you feel fraudulent in your faith, it's because you're aiming at a fraudulent, uh, a fraudulent gospel or an impostor Christianity? So, to consider this, would you uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke eleven? We're going to look at verses 37 to 54, Luke 11, 37 to 54. This is also in your worship guide, and you can follow along there. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did you not know that he who made the outside made the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees. For you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people up with burdens too hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they'll kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so this afternoon I want to talk about imposter Christianity and I want to talk about authentic Christianity. First, let's talk about imposter Christianity. So in this passage, Jesus confronts two sets of religious insiders. The first are the Pharisees. This was a small but influential group of religious leaders in Judaism who were known for their exacting, strict adherence to the Mosaic law. And the second were the lawyers. This was a professional group of people who interpreted and applied the Jewish religious law. And because we're used to to being in church and hearing about the Pharisees and lawyers being the bad guys, we often forget that they were actually really well-liked in Israel at the time. They were viewed as kind of the the ideal Jew. They represented someone not corrupted by Greco-Roman influence, someone still holding to the old ways, the old paths. They were kind of like those kids in the church youth group that the parents hold up as the examples for the rest of the kids. They're the kids who obey their parents, they're clean cut, they're serious about their faith. I think if we're honest, we could say they're a bit like us, those Pharisees and lawyers. But Jesus puts them on blast. Six times in the passage, he says, woe to you. And in doing this, he's echoing the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets um, would come and they would pronounce woes. First, against the Israelites and their rebellion against God. Uh, We hear in Hosea, Hosea says on behalf of God, Woe to them, for they've strayed from me. Destruction is theirs, for they've rebelled against me. But the prophets would also pronounce woes against the enemies of God. Zephaniah says, Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nations of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you. And I think that we can actually read both of these emphases into what Jesus is uh, saying here against the Pharisees and lawyers. Because they are insiders, but in opposing Jesus, the true Messiah, they've made themselves outsiders enemies to god's people in other words they're impostors and what i want to submit to you this afternoon is that they represent for us imposter religion you know satan throughout history uh, has always been trying to lead people away from christ and he does so in very uh, recognizable patterns he does in some sense the same thing over and over and over And what we see, the characteristics that we see in the Pharisees and lawyers, we can actually still see today in the church, forming a kind of imposter Christianity. Now let me give you three examples of these characteristics from the text. The first is this, uh, imposter religion is highly concerned with appearance. You know, my father-in-law was an appraiser for a long time in New Orleans, and he would always tell me these wild stories. That, you know, he would get to go into places that other people didn't. He'd tell me about the restaurants who had secret rooms that were uh, definitely not for mafia meetings. But then, some of my favorite stories that he'd tell me is going into these iconic uh, homes in the Garden District. This is kind of like the real stately homes here on Monument Avenue. He said, you know, the outside, everything looks pristine. You go in, the first floor, everything is uh, it, it's meticulously furnished. It's lavish, it's extravagant. But then you go up onto the second floor and the third floor where people actually live. And it looks like it hasn't been touched in 50 years. In some cases, the, the third floors were just completely gutted. And the problem was that these families would receive these homes from You know, they're forebearers, but they didn't have money to pay for the upkeep. So all of the money went to what they deemed important, which is the place where they received the guests, the place where high society happened. Well, the Pharisees were similar. Their religious practices were focused on things that people could see. This is what Jesus is getting at in verse 39. Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. And because of this emphasis on appearance, their religious practice was highly performative. They would do these kind of over-the-top grand gestures uh, gestures, so that people could see their devotion to the law. This is what Jesus is referring to in verse 42 when he says that they tithe Mint and rue and every herb. What he's talking about here is the idea that they would go out into their garden and they would count all the little stocks of their stalks of their herbs and give a tenth of that as an offering. Now that's not required in the law, but they did it because it would show them to be these hyper pious people. Now we don't know here if Jesus is saying they literally did that or if that's just him being hyperbolic. But the point still stands. The Pharisees and the lawyers devoted themselves religiously to things that God didn't necessarily command, but things that would get them seen by other people. And they ignored the things that God did command, but only God would see. Namely, justice and love. Now this brings us to the second characteristic of imposter religion. It thrives on recognition and external validation. So the reason the Pharisees were so performative with their religious practice uh, was because they wanted to be recognized. They wanted to be validated for all the hard work they put into keeping the law of God. And we see Jesus talking about this in verse 43. "'Woe to you, Pharisees, "'for you love the best seat in the synagogues "'and greetings in the marketplace.'" The best seat in the synagogue would have been at the very front, and it would have been kind of like one of these chairs, a chair that faces out toward the congregation. And so if you're sitting in that seat, everyone in the building could see you. And so what we learn here is that for the Pharisees, worship was primarily something that, in which they could be seen. It was, in a sense, self-worship. And then this extended, though, out into the community, Whenever they would go into public places like the market, they would hold court so that people would hear them and would come and pay their respects. And so what we find here is that their religious practice wasn't motivated by love of God, but really love of self. And so we see that imposter religion is really not God worship, but it's self-worship. Third, Imposter religion perpetuates itself through a system of fear based rule keeping. In verse 46, Jesus says, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people up with burdens too hard to bear, and you yourselves don't touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You see, the way that the Pharisees and the lawyers were able to maintain their importance and their status in the community was by pushing a doctrine of salvation by works. In other words, you had to earn God's favor. You had to earn being in God's right standing. And where do you learn what to do and what not to do? Well, you go to the Pharisees and the lawyers. Now, the problem here is that they were teaching people about God's law. That's a good thing. Psalm 1, right? The person who dwells, meditates on God's law is the blessed person and it wasn't that you know they were telling people to do and to not do things. God's law isn't relativistic. It says that there are things you should do and things that you ought not do. So it wasn't the law, but it was the way that they were teaching the law. What they were doing is they would take one of the laws of God, and then they would pile on top of it just layers of rules so that someone wouldn't, if they broke a rule, they wouldn't still be close to breaking God's law. You give me, to give you an example of this, the fourth commandment, of course, is uh, to keep the Sabbath day holy. And traditionally, that meant to not work on the Sabbath day for the Jews, the Saturday. Well, the Pharisees and the lawyers wanted to clarify what that actually meant. So they came up with 39 categories of work that was prohibited. And then, each of those categories, there would be kind of all of these sub of rules of what you that meant you could do and what you couldn't do. And if that sounds complicated to you, well, it was. It was complicated by design. Why? Because it kept the lawyers and the Pharisees in their place of prominence. So what we see is the imposter religion, the Pharisees and the lawyers, focused on appearances, it thrived on recognition and external validation, and then it kept itself prominent through fear-based rule-keeping. Now, I imagine that I don't have to give you many examples or spend much time convincing you that this isn't just an ancient problem, that we see this in the church Today, That there are all kinds of forms of imposter Christianities. A Christianity that's, that's primarily concerned with what people can see. A Christianity that primarily serves to validate and affirm me. A Christianity that teaches salvation by works and not salvation by grace. And it would be easy to just kind of spend the rest of the sermon pointing these out. You know, the prosperity gospel, which is all about your comfort and wealth. The influencer gospel, which is about being cool and relevant. The fundamentalist gospel, which is about drawing ever tighter circles, delineating who is and isn't really a faithful Christian. The progressive gospel, whose constant refrain is, Do better. But friends, if we did that, we would be falling into the same trap that the Pharisees fell into, the trap of comparative righteousness. It would be paying attention to the outside while neglecting the inside. And I think if we would look at the inside, and we're completely honest, what we would find is that we struggle with these very same things. And what I want to suggest to you is that our imposter syndrome is actually evidence of that. I mean think about it when when we're struggling when we feel like a fake christian or a fraudulent christian what's going on in our lives well we're worried that our lives are too messy our lives don't appear like the life of a good christian should appear we're worried that we're not being validated and and affirmed and recognized by other people and so well if they don't see it in me how, how is it really there And then finally, we start to feel like a fake Christian when we struggle with sin. We do that same thing over and over and over again that we said months ago we were going to quit doing. Or we fail to do the things that we really want to do. We we, we find it so hard to keep a quiet time or to go to church every week. Friends, I think this imposter syndrome is evidence that we're aiming at an imposter Christianity. It's We fear that we're fake Christians because we're holding up ourselves against a fake gospel. And the consequences of this are dire. Jesus says in verse 44 that the Pharisees are like an unmarked grave. And this means two things. First of all, it means that they were spiritually dead. And second of all, it meant that they were toxic. You see, to walk over a grave... Um, would render you ceremonially unclean so you can see how problematic unmarked graves would be because you could potentially walk over a grave not know it be ceremonial unclean but not be able to expunge yourself and jesus says this is exactly what imposter religion does it's an unmarked grave First of all, it leads to your spiritual death. And if you've, ever, if you've ever really struggled with this imposter syndrome, this kind of nagging sense that you're a fake, you know, you know how that happens. right? You eventually look and say, you feel like the only way to get out from under that accusation is just to admit it and say, you know what? I think I'm feeling like a fake Christian because I'm not a Christian. I don't believe any of this anymore. I don't have to worry about feeling fake or fraudulent. And so you say, I'm done. But then it's also dire because we realize that just as it was toxic then, it's toxic now. I think we all know people who have left the church or left the faith because they have been crushed underneath the weight of imposter Christianity, Christianity concerned with appearances, Christianity concerned with recognition, Christianity concerned with rule keeping. So we have to do something about it. And that brings me to my next point, the point uh, authentic Christianity. You see, the way that we expose imposture Christianity as a fraud is to hold it up against authentic Christianity. Now, I want, to imagine, I want you to imagine um, that you're looking at, at a forgery of, say, the Mona Lisa. If you're just looking at the forgery, you probably wouldn't notice the little things um, that are its tells, that it's fake. But... If you were to take the, the forged Mona Lisa and put it by the real one, you could probably look and say, okay, now I'm starting to see why this isn't the real deal. And so, if we're going to expose what uh, inauthentic Christianity looks like, we need to hold it up against authentic Christianity. And where do we find that? Well, we find it in Jesus himself. You see, the church is the bride of Christ, and the purpose of our faith is to conform us to the image of Christ. So it should follow, then, that authentic Christianity is that which most closely resembles the character and teaching and actions of Christ. So what do we see in him? Well, first, we see that he wasn't concerned with appearances. He was concerned with faithfulness to God the Father. And the best example of this is the cross. You know, it's wild that the supreme king of the universe, the creator of all things, would subject himself to a, a torture device that was used to dehumanize the worst of criminal offenders. So crazy was it that Paul looks and says that preaching the cross to someone who hasn't had their ears opened by the Holy Spirit is absolute foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. But Jesus bore the shame of the cross because he wasn't concerned with appearance. He was concerned with faithfulness to the Father. And because he was full of what the Pharisees lacked, justice and love. So authentic Christianity is more concerned with the state of your heart than your appearances. Second, we see that Jesus wasn't concerned with vain recognition, but rather he came to share his glory with us. You know, because he is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, there's no one that is more worthy of recognition and honor than Jesus. But what does he come to do? He comes to make us sons and daughters of the king. John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we see here that authentic Christianity isn't about recognition, it's not about uh, validation, but rather it's humble and it's self-sacrificial. And then third, in Jesus, we see that he didn't crush people under the burden of rule-keeping, but rather liberated people by perfectly fulfilling the law on their behalf. Because Jesus is the perfectly holy God, he could do what we could not do, which is to live a perfect life. But he doesn't keep that for himself. He shares it with us. He takes our record of wrongdoing and gives to us his perfect record of law-keeping Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2.8 for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is the opposite of the fear-based rule-keeping of imposter Christianity. So authentic Christianity focuses on God's grace not on our rule-keeping or our merit or our works. Now, Having said all this, the tendency for us is to say, okay, I, I get it, I get that You know, I have been aimed at imposter Christianity, now I want to be a part of authentic Christianity, so what I'm going to do is, um, to use Jesus' illustration, I'm going to clean the inside of the bowl. I'm, I'm going to start doing, I'm going to stop doing all the, uh, the imposter things, I'm going to start doing all the authentic things, I'm going to be clean from the inside. But the problem there is that is approaching the problem exactly as the Pharisees did. It's trying to work your way to God. It's, trying to, it's kind of like making, uh, taking that forgery of the Mona Lisa and trying to make it ever even more close to the original. But the problem is that no matter how similar they would look, the forgery is never the authentic thing. No matter how hard we try, we can't work ourselves into authenticity. It's not something we do, it's something that we are. So in conclusion, let me ask you this. Is there any hope for fake, fraudulent Pharisees like you and me? If there wasn't hope we wouldn't have about half of the New Testament. Paul, the hero of the faith. Paul was a Pharisee. Listen to how he describes himself in Philippians 3. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Did you hear what Paul says here is the hope for Pharisees like him and you and me? The hope is to be found in him. To be found in Christ. This is union with Christ language. It's it's not something about us becoming authentic Christians because we're doing the right things, but rather it's becoming authentic Christians because we're united to the very authentic Christ, the one true person, the true humanity. We've become authentic Christians because Jesus has come to live inside of us through the Holy Spirit. It's not that we have to clean out the inside of the bowl. He comes in us and cleans it out for us. In fact, he shares with us his clean bowl. Kind of a strange concept, but roll with me. Because what we find is that it's not about us having a perfect life, but rather it's being united to, participating, sharing in his perfect life very life of christ himself and how does paul say that that happens well faith it's faith in christ in other words contrary to what our culture teaches about authenticity when when we feel like a fake when we feel like a fraud we don't look deeper inside of ourselves to try and bore down to the authentic self but rather we look out towards jesus We remember his loveliness, his perfection, his beauty, his mercy, and realize that all of that has been given to us by being united to him through faith by the Holy Spirit. And so, friends, whenever you feel like an imposter, whenever you feel like a fake Christian, remember your union with Christ. And don't look in, look out towards him. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today uh, confessing that we often feel fake, because in some sense we are. And um, We're aiming at a fraudulent gospel, at a fraudulent Christianity. But we thank you, Father, that you love Pharisees like us. And Father, we thank you that whenever we feel fake, whenever we feel like frauds, we can look to you, the one true person, and know that you have dwelt within us through your Holy Spirit. Father, it's so hard for us to do that. We, we want so badly to prove ourselves. But Father, would you help break us so that we would hold only on to Christ by your grace? And Father, through that, would you help us to find true joy and true freedom and true liberation to be the people that you have made us to be? We ask this all in your Son's name. Amen.